Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. In this episode, we'll discuss the second Sunday after Christmas, which this year falls on January 3rd. A big thank you to Dr. David Cordell, who joins us today from Louisiana. A quick content notification for you. In our second reading, we have a brief conversation about adoption and how that is an emotional thing for many people. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages, as well as links to some of David's work and other references we make in this episode. Welcome to our special guest, Dr. David Cordall, Assistant Professor of Physics at Centenary College of Louisiana. We are delighted to have you with us today. Uh, thanks for having me. Among other things, today we'll be discussing the first few lines of the Gospel of John. And Emily and I agreed immediately that today our deep dive would be about the formation of the universe. Because so probably want to talk about that. Absolutely. So probably the best known scientific theory explaining how that happened is the Big Bang. David, could you give us a short explanation of the Big Bang that you might give to a college freshman humanities major? Sure. It, it's popular to say that the Big Bang includes uh, some sort of a singularity at the beginning, but that goes uh, a bit beyond what we can really strongly say. I think uh, what everyone would agree on is that maybe a, about a nanosecond after whatever started all of it, uh, you have some sort of a quark gluon plasma, and uh, about one second afterwards, you get all the neutrinos that are able to fly through this, and then uh, in the first three minutes is when you get a lot of the action that we see evidence of today. And that includes, for instance, the formation of helium, which we can't really explain the abundance of without some sort of thing like this. And then about 20 minutes after the Big Bang or, or, or so, you have what, what's called more of an opaque plasma that, that uh, light can't really get through. And then about 370,000 years after the beginning is when you get your first atoms. And that's, that event is called a recombination. And it's in that, that period that you start to get some of the things that, that are often claimed as the most, the, the most important relics of the Big Bang, the sort of fossils that drop out of it in, in terms of the cosmic microwave background and the baryon acoustic oscillations, which are which are supposed to be these sound waves that uh, propagated through this, you know, this opaque plasma, before you get sort of the dark ages when when everything is spread out, but before there are stars, and then it takes another billion years or so before you get the first stars, and from that point on to about now, in 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 the standard story of things, is where you get. The universe that looks more or less like we know it today and so that takes us from a billion years to about you know 13.7 billion years um which is supposed supposed to be uh where we are at the moment so i have a question from that you said that helium formed within the first few minutes but it took an awfully long time for actual atoms to form so helium wasn't made up of atoms at first well, that's a that's a good point, Kay. The the distinction there is between the the, the nuclear reactions and the actually the actual settling down of the electrons outside of the atoms. 
So in, in a normal gas, you have neutral atoms. And in that early state of the universe, everything's very hot. And it takes a lot more energy to have a nuclear reaction than it takes to strip uh, electrons outside of the, uh, from the outside of an atom. So the idea there is that um, after you know, 20 minutes or so, the nuclear reactions that, that you get of these light elements that, as far as we know, you can't create in, in stars. So that's sort of a distinction. The, the people who were developing this idea at the beginning thought that maybe it would be possible to have an infinitely old universe with all of these heavier elements being created in the centers of stars. But it turns out that the details of all of those types of calculations don't allow you to get certain elements. So like, you know, we do get iron in the middle of stars, but it turns out it's hard to make helium. And so that's, it's an interesting detail. It's because it, nobody wants to speak in a really high voice on the sun. <laughs> <laughs> this is fascinating. Okay, you did talk about two different plasma points. One, like right away, forget what you called it, something um, cork so, plasma or something. Yeah, well, so that that earliest nanosecond is is where, you know, in, in our usual thought, thinking about things, you, you think of like, you know, protons and neutrons being made of up, up, down, or, or down, down, up types of combinations of quarks. And the idea is that at the very, very beginning, when the whole universe is really squished down, you know, to a size of an orange or something like that, that at that point, the energy density is too great to allow for even the nucleons themselves to be formed. And so that's what's happening at the very beginning is, you know, you have your baryons forming, your th things like the protons and, and neutrons. And then in that nucleosynthesis is where you have your next level of structure forming where your you know your your protons and neutrons are smashing together to form heavier elements so what i'm hearing you say is all of those times growing up when we had oranges and we put cloves in oranges <laughs> we were simulating the beginning of the universe at christmas time sure yes <laughs> <laughs> So, David, as you know, Emily and I like to do as much uh, deep and serious research for this podcast as possible. And so I do have a quick quote from Wikipedia for you from the article on the Big Bang. Uh, and I'd, I'd like to know if you think that this is accurate. From Wikipedia, the Big Bang is not an explosion of matter moving outward to fill an empty universe. Instead, space itself expands with time everywhere and increases the physical distances between co-moving points. In other words, the Big Bang is not an explosion in space, but rather an explosion of space. Am I, am I supposed to disagree with that? Does that sound re reasonable? <laughs> like, did, they, did Wikipedia get it right, do you think? Uh, well, I'm going to guess that the people that write these articles are probably graduate students, uh, not so unlike myself, whose knowledge is, is probably a, a bit better even than mine uh, on this subject. So I, I do want to put, put a sort of a, a pin in one part of this, which is that all of this theorizing is done within a context of general relativity. And the interesting thing is that that theory did not exist until... 1915, when Einstein finally got all the parts of it, you know, uh, meshing together, it took it took about 10 years from when he introduced 
special relativity to get to general relativity. And after that, the ability to apply this sort of thing to the universe at large was not really thought of until 1922 or, or so. And at that time, Einstein was actually very disappointed with what happened because he was coming out of this older tradition, which goes harkens back to Newton and before, which is that up in the heavens, that's where the you know realm of eternal things is, where the 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 universe is as ancient as God Himself, and the the laws of the universe are eternal, just like the stars. And so, you know, by the time of Einstein, it, it was definitely the 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 thought had occurred to a lot of people by that point that uh, stars evolve their galaxies other than our own, but the idea that the universe has a as a history as a whole was not really that popular, and in and in fact, it, it was still in the 1950s that that many of the world's leading cosmologists were, were interested in in sort of steady state cosmologies, where you have hydrogen sort of bubbling up out of the void to fill up the universe as the galaxies stream out. And so Einstein introduced this idea of a cosmological constant, which now has evolved into the idea of dark energy as a way to sort of fix this problem, which was that his, his theory, his own theory of general relativity seemed to imply that the universe was either, you know, expanding outward than contracting inward or uh, expanding outward forever, and he wanted to make a fix to it. And ironically, that fix has become part of the standard cosmology today, but not in the way that he had hoped. Not, most people have given up on the idea of a steady state cosmology, even though it seems to me like you probably, you know, if, if you were stubborn enough, could maybe twiddle all the dials to, to get it to work with, with the empirical evidence. Okay. Because I love the concepts of dark matter and dark energy a very, very lot. You mentioned it, that that's what like Einstein ended up going to accidentally. Can you just like explain for folks who are less, who are not familiar with dark matter, dark energy stuff, what that is? Sure. Well, so again, you have to think in the context of, of theory development, as you get into the 1960s, some researchers at Bell Labs for the first time noticed the cosmic microwave background. And at that point, that had already been a theory that was around, that, a, a consequence of the hot Big Bang. And so then at that point, people try to start thinking about, okay, if this story is true, what consequences drop out of it? And you already have existing Newton's gravity, which is just, you know, every piece of matter in the universe pulling on other, every other piece of matter. And so at that point, you start putting in these large scale simulations where you want to get things like galaxy formation. Um, so to, to, to get all that matter that at the beginning is just, you know, streaming outward, blowing up, you want to get it to clump together somehow. And uh, to get that to happen, is not as easy as you would expect because you, you you want your theory to just naturally give you all of the things that we actually observe out in the universe and it's not as easy to to match those predictions with the observed components that that you see just in starlight 
So first you start, okay, maybe there's some mass out there that's not lit up. So maybe some gas out between the stars that's not, it's not spooky, it's not strange, it's just normal stuff, but it's not lit up. Is that enough? Well, it turns out it doesn't seem like it is enough. So you get people like Vera Rubin in the 1970s doing, um, she, she did these catalogs of the rotation curves of how fast stars are going on the outer edges of galaxies versus how fast they're going on the inside. And the curves that she found seemed to be quite a bit flatter than you would expect. And so to, to reproduce that within the, the context of normal Newtonian gravity, which, you know, is approximated also um, uh, an approximation of, of Einstein's theory, um, mm -hmm. she had to put in extra, extra, extra mass. And so there's this sort of unsatisfying feeling about it, which is that you don't know a lot about this, this extra mass. You don't know what kinds of interactions it has with all the rest of the stuff, but you need it to get your simulations to work. And so mm -hmm. to me, there's something a little unsatisfying. And, and, and ever since then, people have been doing experiments to try to have a direct, you know, detection of dark, uh, dark matter. So they make these very, these very sensitive little disks. And the idea is that as the earth goes around the sun every year, maybe we're going to plow into a dark matter, you know, cloud or something. And uh, that'll cause a yearly oscillation. Of course, hmm. the problem is that there are lots of other things that cause yearly oscillations and, you know, neutron counts in yeah. the atmosphere and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's you, you got to do some work. That's fascinating. I love it. Okay, cool. Thanks. Thank you again for joining us, David. Do you have any final thoughts on life, the universe, and everything you'd like to share? Well, I just thought there's 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 something sort of interesting that uh, about all of these models, which is that they force you to take as true things that seem patently untrue on the small scale. So, for instance, the Big Bang cosmology says that on large scales, the universe is approximately the same everywhere. Now, just going from your kitchen to your bedroom, you can see that everything is different at, at, at every point along that path. So there, there, there has to be some very large averaging. I mean, there's another thing that, that the stars themselves don't seem to be changing, but you have to imagine then within this that you're just seeing a snapshot of the universe within the changing thing. So to me, there's an interesting tension in all of this where you, you, you have to accept that the appearance of things is very different from the reality of things. And so making that, making that distinction and, and uh, trying to really rigorously tie together this appearance and, and the reality is, is one of the things that makes cosmology sort of a, a fascinating and unusual scientific field. Yeah, that well, and that's a beautiful piece that ties well with our gospel reading and the ways that the gospel writer John is tying in the things that are evident and the things that are not evident and the things, um, the real and the imagined good connector. Wonderful. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Okay, mm -hmm. thanks.
Our first reading for this episode is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 7 through 14. The prophet Jeremiah reminds the people of Israel that God will bring them back from exile, and they will rejoice and dance again. So one theme for this passage is the idea that hope and joy are still are always possibilities. This is a word spoken to a people in exile, and there's a clear call for hope from Jeremiah. And I was talking with my friends River and Susanna about this passage in the gospel last night, and River brought up that this is reminiscent in Doctor Who, in the initial reboots of Doctor Who, Rose goes with the doctor and thinks it's going to be like a day that she'll be gone. And because of the TARDIS and time and all of those things. And the doctor not being all that great at navigating the TARDIS. That too. She actually ends up being gone for two whole years. And so when she comes back, she comes back to all of these posters, miss like missing posters of her plastered up everywhere. And so there's this sense that like even after two years, the hope that Mickey and her family had for her return didn't end. It didn't die. It was always there. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to people asking who is your doctor, Christopher Eccleston is really it for me. I loved the way he portrayed the doctor. My original doctor was Matt Smith. I am not caught up on the recent seasons and so I am sure that my yeah, doctor will change once I get caught up because the doctor is no longer a cishet white guy. So. so when we reach verse 7, we hear, Save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. A remnant is a leftover piece of something. It hasn't been shaped intentionally so much as it has been shaped by what has been taken away from it. So as a textile arts person, this makes me think of quilting. While quilting these days is often something done with specially bought fabrics and supplies, traditionally quilts were made with leftover pieces of whatever fabric you'd been using that year, probably to make your or your family's wardrobe. The shapes and colors were much more random than the planned art quilts we see at county fairs and art shows now. When Jeremiah calls his people the remnant of Israel, they are what is left after tragedy and exile and slavery who is present among them has been shaped in large part by who isn't among them anymore. But they don't have to stay scattered. They can come together again and be part of a larger whole. So what I'm hearing you say is, the remnant of Israel is my t-shirt quilt. Ooh, sure, maybe. Yes. I have a t-shirt quilt that my college roommate, Stephanie, made for me. Aww. Of a bunch of camp shirts, and I'm going to make another one. Maybe even it is in process as this episode airs because we recorded it way early. But t-shirt quilts seem like a perfect like combo these days because it is leftover stuff, but also... Yes. As we move into verse 8 and also verse 13, we see this depiction of a lot of diversity, right? We hear, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. And then God talks about bringing the blind and the lame, those with child, those in labor, young ones and old ones, 
all together and it reminded me, though it is not my particular fandom, it reminded me of Star Trek because one of the things that is most well known about Star Trek is the diversity of both actors and the characters themselves, right? Like, I mean, yes. the characters are from a bazillion different species and stuff, but also that they were some of the first to have women of color, black women in particular, and women in general as captains and in prominent roles uh, within the... Yes, and actually, I had a conversation with my dad a couple of months ago about how, at the time, it was extraordinary to have Uhura on the bridge as a black woman. It was a major step, but when Star Trek, the original series, first aired, it was also extraordinary to have Chekhov on the bridge as a Russian, given the relationship between our countries at the time. So both of those were extraordinary, but nowadays we don't think twice about having a Russian on the bridge. Which is interesting. So I would say they're probably not equally extraordinary. Extraordinary in different ways. Yeah, and I think what's interesting to me is that I still, like, there is a trope of Russians as evil characters. Like, I, oh, yes. the thing that came to mind first for me was Rocky and Bullwinkle, which I used <laughs> to love. Yes, absolutely. Right? But the the ideas of Slavic people being evil, which is not true. I mean, right now, the leader in Russia is highly questionable, but so is the leader in this country. So, For another 17 days, as of when this episode is based on. Here's hoping. I mean, okay. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole. Moving yeah. on. <laughs> it's like, I'm going down that rabbit hole. I can't stop myself. Thank you, Gay. <laughs> and then when we jump into verse 12, it says, They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion. And it reminded me of Elf. Like, so the the principle in Elf that the best way to spread Christmas cheer is by singing loud for all to hear. But also when Elf joins in the singing that's happening in the shower because he doesn't understand boundaries and bathrooms and all of those things. But like the, that it is about singing and Elf's like, I guess, stepmom kind of sings and it's not about being on key it's not about anything it's just about like shouting aloud and singing for joy and uh, I think Elf is one of the best movies that I can think of for that that joy of singing which also like yes. makes me feel like singing because then I don't have to be perfect at it yes and that's what congregational singing is all about mm-hmm Yes, I looked at verse 12, and I also thought of people singing, but my reference was a little different from yours. I read, And they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Or, to put another way from an American tale, There are no cats in America, and streets are paved with cheese. So thank you, Fievel. Okay, I was like, that's a Fievel one. Yes. I thought the title was bigger. Than... I definitely grew up with those movies. My dad was especially fond of them because he doesn't actually like cats very much. I don't either. I'm allergic to them. That's, is it an American tale or a Fievel an American tale? I believe it's just an American tale. Yeah. I think later it got called Fievel an American tale sometimes because Fievel was such a hit. Gotcha. I also really liked his hat. I love those movies. They're fun. Our second reading for this episode is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. The author explains to the Christians in Ephesus just how extraordinarily Christ's death and resurrection has changed everything about their relationship with God. 
So one of the themes from this passage is inheritance. So the idea that we, that the author talks about is that we as followers of Christ inherit God's grace and God's glory and stuff. Um, And it got me thinking about superheroes and it feels like all of the boy superheroes basically rely on having an inheritance in order to be superheroes, right? (laughs) Like the only way that Batman and Green Arrow can exist is because they can afford to buy all the fancy toys versus like Wonder Woman actually like has supernatural talents and powers and stuff and Captain Marvel. and Yeah. Yay, capitalism. Yup. Letting boys be heroes. One mm. billionaire at a time. Well, you know, boys need inheritances to be heroes. And women, eh, not so much. Non-binary people are just born heroes, so. Oh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> capes still optional, though. I know some yes. people say no capes, but really, make your own choices. It's up to you. Um, I would love a cape. Oh my gosh. That would be so amazing to have a cape. When you make a t-shirt quilt, you could save some pieces and make a cape. I could, but I want a, like, real and fancy cape. Ah. As we jump into the verses, in verse 4, we hear, just as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And it made me think about what before the foundation of the world looks like. So David, when he was talking, um, talked about the different points of the Big Bang and that the reality is, like, we don't know what the initial the thing before the Big Bang is. And that's the case also in crea- in our creation stories that we find in the Bible, that there's a sense of beginning, but there's also a sense that something existed before the beginning. And who knows what it looks like? Who knows what before the foundations of the world looks like? Who knows what that point before the Big Bang, which was then like a couple minutes and a couple minutes and then... <laughs> A thousand years, and then, (laughs) and yeah, it was just fascinating. Um, and I hope that you all also enjoyed that, like thinking about the process and timeline of the Big Bang, too. But yeah, what does it look like? Let there be light, indeed. Yes, I've read verse four, and I focused on the phrase to be holy and blameless before God. Does that mean we're like Mary Poppins, which is another fantasy movie rarely given that credit? Practically perfect in every way? Mm-hmm. No. We are perfect and blameless before God in love, because God loves us. Perhaps in the same way a person keeps loving and feeding their pet or infant, despite all those bodily fluids. <laughs> I love that that's the connection. Well, that may have recently been a part of my life. I do have a cat. That's true. Tomorrow I'm hanging out with a two-and-a-half-year-old, because daycare is closed, so I feel you. It feels like that has also been a primary issue that a lot of parents are talking about on Facebook. Like, they usually deal with a lot of bodily fluids, but now with the pandemic, they are dealing with all All of the bodily fluids. It's true. In the next verse, in verse 5, we hear that God has destined us for adoption as their children through Jesus Christ. A note that I think we usually have said, adoption is complicated, folks. Yes, to destine someone for adoption is a complicated feeling. And so if you are adopted and have lots of complicated feelings about this, totally valid. It actually made me think of The Fosters, the show The Fosters, which I recently watched. 
I don't know when I watched it. Time has no meaning anymore. I don't know if it was in the pandemic or before that. But the Fosters, like, have this large family, um, and they end up adopting several of the kids. But there's the kids themselves have complicated feelings about being in foster care, um, about the adoption process, about the process of being in foster care, all of those things. And so I think when my hope is that when God destines us for adoption, it is with the understanding that that is complicated and that we are complicated and can have a variety of thoughts and feelings about our belonging to God or our belonging in Christ. Yeah, and one of the differences between when God adopts you and when people adopt you is that you get to choose whether that's a both-and or an either-or thing. Like, some people may want to consider their church family and God as their family and not consider their biological family of origin, but other people may want it to be more of a both-and thing. I have both my church family and my family of origin. And the adoption by God is still valid either way. So that's an aspect of it that doesn't exist in our legal system. Yeah. False binaries. Indeed. It's my main role now. And then when we reach verse 13, we read that we are marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. What, like like the Air Nomad tattoos that Aang wears in Avatar mm. The Last Airbender? Maybe a little more than that. Less visible. But I like the tattoos. I'd shave my head for that. No, I wouldn't. I don't actually want airbender tattoos. Also, I'd like to point out that being marked with the promised Holy Spirit is wonderful and does give you many spiritual gifts, but it does not include the ability to enter the Avatar state. What? Our gospel reading for this Sunday is John chapter 1, with the option of verses 1 through 9, which we have included, and verses 10 through 18. In the beginning, God, Jesus, a.k.a. the Word, or Sophia, and the Holy Spirit all existed. Then the universe existed. Then John the Baptist existed in the universe and told people Jesus was on the way. So one of the big themes for John 1 that stands out for me is creation as poetry and mystery. Obviously, as we talked about earlier in the episode with David, Part of why we wanted somebody to come in and talk about the creation of the cosmos was because we get this piece from John about the creation. And it's so poetic and beautifully like written. And I love it. But I also and I also love space. And for me, outer space is this poetry and mystery as well. And so it was fun to talk to David about the Big Bang and about um, the creation of the cosmos and the ways that, right, there is this word, there is light, there is all of these things. And we, the best that we can do, even with science, is to like, have ideas of how it works. But even then, there's limits to that. We don't really know, haven't really grasped dark matter. We don't really know what happened before the beginning. And similarly in John, the way that John chooses to like push the limits is through poetry. And yeah, that's a beautiful thing for me. It is. When we reach verse one, we read, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, I cannot even begin to tell you, as a philosophy major, how much this sentence makes my head hurt, okay? Even (laughs) when you take the shortcut not actually explained here that the word is also Jesus, 
How can you be with someone and be someone at the same time? How can an expression of someone, like a word would be, exist at the beginning? Shouldn't there be a time before it was expressed? Even if you take God being eternal for granted, which is like trying to explain the true consequences of the concept of dark energy to a four-year-old, this sentence still just makes my head hurt. And this is why most people are poets or philosophy nerds, and not both. Yes, that is true. Poets, philosophy nerds, and physics nerds. And sometimes they do cross over a bit, as I believe David may have been known to. But it's difficult. Mm -hmm. In verse 5, we hear, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not... And then it's either overcome or understand it. Um, And it made me think of the electromagnetic light spectrum. That there's a certain amount of visible light for humans, but there's so much extra light. And um, David even talked about, right, the background radiation. Yes. And so there's all of this light. So when we talk about light, the thing that John's talking about is visible, is light that's visible to humans. But there's so much more light than that that is dark. And is in the darkness. And so I just love the way that it complicates this false binary of light versus dark. That it's more complicated than that. And that there's so much richness in the darkness. Both in the sense of like dark matter, like David was talking about. But also in the sense that we were talking about in our first Advent episode. When we talked about um, the mystery of darkness. Yes. When we reach verse 10, we read, He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, I don't read a lot of webcomics, and I am sadly behind on this one, but the character Jones from the webcomic called Gunnerkrig Court immediately comes to mind for this. As far as I've read, we don't get a full explanation of even how she exists, but this verse is very Jones-like. Jones has existed since the beginning of time. Jones has no explanation for where Jones came from. Jones uses female pronouns, but does not appear to be human. Uh, And so when it comes to being beyond the concept of time, Jones is very much of that cloth. But I do recommend webcomic. It is a lot of fun. But while Jones exists on the Earth and is around people, uh, she is not of Earth. She is part of and yet not part of. And she really works very hard to make sure that no one finds out how unusual she is and that she may actually date back all the way to the Big Bang. It's not like she knows. Uh, So she is a part of Earth and yet not a part of humanity, even though she resembles us to an extraordinary degree for no explained reason. Hmm. Interesting. As I was reading in verse 15, John pulls a Doctor Who and says, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. And this just feels like such a Doctor Who sentence to me because it's just like the logic and the like flipping around and twirling around. And I was like, I, every time I read that, I'm like, why, what? Mm -hmm." Timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly. Yes, absolutely. Ah, doctors. Doctor Who's. 
Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we explore the scripture readings for Epiphany with our special guest, Jess Davis. This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewing. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at N-E-R-D-S-A-T-C-H-U-R-C-H, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you appreciate what we do or want to get actual transcripts of the podcast episodes, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. We hope Patreon can help us get our episodes transcribed for those who need or prefer that. But if you want to help us with transcripts, let us know via email or social media. As the ancient Christian said, Pax Pax Bobiscum. Bobiscum.